Hey friends, you're listening to the Difference Makers Podcast, and I'm your host, Jamie Mullins. On each monthly episode, we'll have a guest that will give us a peek into what it looks like for them to be a difference maker, a leader in the places God has given them influence. My hope is that it leaves you encouraged to use your gifts, passions, and story to make a difference right where you are. Well, hello and welcome to the Difference Makers podcast. I'm so excited today to have joining me Scott Weisenbaker. Scott is the founder and director of Solutions in North Texas in Denton. Welcome, Scott. Thank you. So excited to have you with us today. For those of you who are part of the Cross Timbers family, we got to hear a piece of Scott's story and the story behind the story of this ministry that we all know and love at Cross Timber Solutions in North Texas. But for those of you who weren't able to be with us that weekend, I really wanted to have a conversation with Scott. He's one of our difference makers here at Cross Timber, somebody who's taken his story, his passions, his gifts, and is is, re- is using it to reach literally thousands of lives now. So let's start, Scott, if you don't mind, with the story behind the story. So we were talking before we started recording, it was like 50, 15 years ago? 15 years ago. Yeah. So go ahead. You, you tell the story of how how you got to this place of starting solutions. Well, 15 years ago, we were coming across Timbers. In fact, it was a neighbor who dragged me here <laughs> because I was I hadn't been to church in a while. And and so we finally decided, you know what, we'll go once. We'll give them an hour. And when they ask the next week, we'll go, hey, we tried it out. <laughs> it wasn't for us. Yeah. And we, we started coming uh, every week. Mm. So after a little while, Toby did a series called The Great Adventure. Yeah. And he w- had some recliners up on the stage. <laughs> and the whole premise was people are sitting around when they really needed to. I think his catchphrase was get off your seat and get out in the street yeah. and make a difference. Mm-hmm. So at the end, I think it was at the end of the series, but one particular Sunday, he started talking about the fact that each one of us were designed to fill a specific need Mm. and that although most of us may not know what that is that that was fine but that some of us knew exactly what it was that we were here to do and that we had probably thought about it maybe pencil whipped it you know made the plans for it Uh and for whatever reason decided that that wasn't the time and and this is before i ever knew toby and he said you know i don't know who it is, but I feel that somebody in the audience needs to pull those plans back out and just look at them with some fresh eyes because maybe it's the time now. I don't know if it is or not, but I think it's time to look at them. And I looked at my wife and we had been talking about starting solutions and and we we decided uh, during the service that we were going to go ahead and go for it. And I'd always held off because I was certain that I needed three hundred and sixty-five thousand dollars to start, wow. and I didn't That's have a lot of money. yeah I didn't have <laughs> three hundred and sixty-five thousand. But I started calling some of my friends and I raised forty-five hundred dollars, and that's actually what we started with, and that was fourteen years ago, um, just a couple of months after the Great Adventure. Wow. Okay. So for those who have never <coughs> been at Cross Timbers, may not have heard of Solutions in North Texas, tell us a little bit about your ministry and what you do daily. Well, I decided to open up a house, which is really as big as I thought as it would be. Mm-hmm. And I thought, you know, I can keep 10 guys out of the ground mm-hmm. because I had been to a lot of funerals. I had buried a lot of people, in, including when I was sober for four years. Um, my wife was pregnant. She had a miscarriage and then she committed suicide. And that was part of the, the video story. Um, 
and that really changed my life. That really upset me. And I mean, it's, I can't talk about it too much because I'll, I'll start crying. It's, yeah. it's, um, but it was as awful as you can imagine it. And, and I was angry with everybody. Yeah. Um, I was angry with God and well, it's, it's, I started paying attention to how often people with an addiction committed suicide because we don't hear about it on the news, but it happens every day. Mm-hmm. And it's not that we're a suicidal bunch of folks. It's right. just that we get into a spot where we can't imagine life with the drugs or the alcohol and we can't imagine it without it. Yeah. And we get to where we just don't think that that we can do it either way and that everybody and everything would be better if we just weren't here. And it's more about stopping the noise and the pain than anything else. So we make very rash decisions um, in a really bad spot. Mm. So I never actually considered suicide. I don't know that if I had uh, continued to use that that I wouldn't have. I've been clean for 24 years now. But I remember praying over and over that, God, if you're real, please just kill me tonight mm-hmm. because I don't know how much longer I can take this. I just wasn't at the point where I was willing to do it myself. Wow. Um, but, but again, it happens a lot. So I thought, you know, I can open up this house and teach 10 men how to live because whether somebody's coming out of our county jail or even our prison or they're coming out of a really nice treatment center Mm -hmm. it's really the same thing when they leave that door swings open and ready or not here's the world and we needed someone to take us and go look this is how you do it you do exactly this you need to do this and you know we really have to change our whole life because it's not about hiding from the addiction or mm-hmm. trying to outsmart it it's really about you know i've got a physical addiction i've got a mental obsession that tells me everything's good but the real problem is i've got a spiritual malady so if i straighten out the That's spiritual so malady everything else straightens out and through that we've got to go back to work we have to learn how to live within our earning potential Mm -hmm. because as long as our life remains chaotic we're going to reach for the greatest coping mechanism that we've ever known which is the drugs or the alcohol because if we get high enough sometimes we just don't care um this is why people will stay clean for two or three months Mm -hmm. and thereby thinking that they've battled their addiction and they've overcome it, Mm -hmm. but they've got a pending court case. And sometimes they get so overwhelmed by what might happen in court that they don't know what to do and they get emotionally compromised. And so they reach for that coping mechanism because they have nothing else. And then they use the day before court, they show up to court looking the way we look and the judge looks at you and goes what's the matter with you and the only honest answer we can say is you know i don't know mm-hmm. and and this is uh, experience i did that a number of times and it always makes them mad and they never understand they think that we're thumbing our nose at the courts and and we can't formulate that thought that hey i was emotionally compromised and i was yeah. either going to harm myself or i was going to get really intoxicated so that i could handle that this was happening but then i pretty much ensured that the worst case scenario was going to mm-hmm. be my reality wow. but i made it through that night so that's the crazy circle that we get caught up in and we need to learn how to find a new, a, a new coping mechanism, which yeah. in, in our case is 
once we work through a program and we address our past and, and we start living differently and changing just almost everything about how we react and, and how we treat other people, the greatest thing that we learn is when somebody is in that state where they're considering killing themselves mm -hmm. and we can sit down and talk to them for five to 10 minutes and give yeah. them just a spark of hope. All of a sudden they don't want to die. Mm. So with doing nothing but talking to them for a few minutes, we can save a human life. And there's nothing more powerful that we'll ever do with our life. Nothing more meaningful. Nothing can compare to that. And we get to do it over and over and over. And that becomes our new coping mechanism. The first time it happens, it'll make the hair, well, every time, it'll make the <laughs> hair on the back of your neck stand up. Yeah. And, and we walk away from that and it's like, wow, that's amazing. And we don't get to do it every day, but we're helpful every day and could, because we never know when that next opportunity to do that is gonna be. Mm. But when we do that, it's like something clicks and it just changes and we realize that we don't ever have to use again. So good. Which is, they always say, never say never, but you know <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah. You, you don't ever have to use again. That's so good. So for people who are listening today, they may not feel called to start a ministry. Obviously, you guys, y'all are the, the experts at this in our, in our DFW area. But what would be something, because everyone who's listening today, they have a desire to be a difference maker. Um, and I've got to believe there's a lot of people listening today who have people in their lives that are just like the men and women you described in the beginning, that they don't know how to live without the addiction, but they don't know how to live with it. What are some things, just some practical things that people are listening today can do to help to come alongside of, to help the people in their lives who are battling addiction? Well, they can educate themselves. And, you know, one of the ways not to make a shameless plug, but I wrote a book a couple of years ago yeah. called How to Get Your Kid Off Drugs. Mm -hmm. And they can, I'm an Amazon search result. Nice. It really walks the family through every scenario, whether or not they've been arrested, whether or not they've just been to treatment, or it's prior to all of that. And they're just concerned that they're headed down the wrong direction. It really walks through the different scenarios, tells them who all is going to be involved and how to find that help. Yeah. Because we're typically not equipped to handle that situation. Mm -hmm. um, we are uniquely equipped to deal with it. That's right. But it's it's like anything else. If I need my knee replaced, I'm not going to try to do it myself. I'm <laughs> going to go to somebody who knows how to do that. That's right. Or, or anything, fixing our car, anything. So, um, But if somebody's thinking about starting an organization, man, they just need to go for it. Because as I said, I thought I could get a house and, and work with 10 guys at a time. Mm -hmm. But what I didn't know would be that when we finish our campus that we're currently developing, I will be housing 96 men and Ooh. women. I have a women and children's home for the girls who have come through one of the courts I serve on, the family drug court, mm -hmm. and when it gets to the point that they're having their children returned by CPS and there's a closely monitored mm -hmm. situation, it's a house for them to be in while they're in that period. And then we'll be uh, starting a six-bed detox before too long, and, and of course we have treatment programs during the day and the night. Yeah. So I never thought it was going to grow to <laughs> where it is. Ago, right? yeah. I mean, I'm allowed to do things that I should not be allowed to do. It's Serving incredible. on courts. Yeah. I serve on three courts. And that 
that just it is not supposed to happen for people like me because I'm really just a troublemaker from Dallas who got arrested 42 times and just did everything I possibly can do wrong. I did wrong. I love we just recently had Michael Jr. for one of our 10K Tuesday services and we laughed our behinds off that night, but he kept coming back to the fact that our setbacks can be the setup for the very thing that God wants us to do with our lives. And that's so true for you and for Solutions in North Texas. All the things that people would have said, nope, he's th- he's not going to be able to do this. God used all of that to set up for what is now an incredible organization that's helping hundreds and thousands of people. Well, and, and that's true because I believe that everything I went through, even the painful stuff, um, was preparing me for what I'm doing today because I deal with families that have had a suicide in their family or an attempted suicide or somebody who's thinking about suicide. It goes hand in hand with addiction. Mm-hmm. So everything I've been through, all of the arrests, all of the detoxing on the Dallas County jail room floor, losing everything, filing bankruptcy, mm-hmm. everything that I could have done wrong. I mean, it, every single part of it has come into play. You know, I got to tell you something real funny is when I was younger, um, I started playing in bars when I was 16. Mm-hmm. And for 15 years, I, I that, that was what I wanted to do. That's why I thought I was put on this planet to was music. to play music mm-hmm. and to travel. And, and my motives were to get rich and famous. But I remember my dad telling me one day, he's like, son, you know, if you keep getting arrested, you're never going to be able to get a good job. Mm. And I said, well, you know, here's the thing about that, Dad. I'm like, me getting arrested, that's like my resume. And he's, what do you mean? I'm like, well, Dad, you know what they call a rock star who's never been arrested? They call him a poser. (laughs) And nobody can ever call me a poser. (laughs) And, And so the crazy thing about it is that all of those arrests, everything that happened, absolutely makes my resume now but at the time he was just looking at me going how did my kid end up so twisted (laughs) (laughs) i love it so you talked a bit you just hinted at the fact that you're getting to be sit on some courts but what is something that you're just super and passionate about something you're really excited about that you're getting to do right now well um there's a couple of things that i've believed all along that that everything is done with relationships, Mm -hmm. starting with a relationship with the church and having relationships with everywhere from our elected officials to our business owners to just everybody we come into contact with. Mm -hmm. And it's just about being nice and trying to get along with people and letting them know what we do. And over time, law enforcement has become one of our greatest allies. And I called them right in the beginning, one of the first phone calls I made to say, look, this is who I am and this is what I'm doing. And my thought was, please don't mess with us. Mm -hmm. These guys are going to be afraid of you. Mm -hmm. We're just trying to do the right thing over here. And we became friends. Um, I called the probation department and then I started calling defense attorneys. And over the years, they have become judges. So I know all of our elected officials in Denton County And many of the judges are good friends of mine. And we were friends before they were on the bench Mm -hmm. when they were attorneys. And we had been working together with difficult cases and clients. So they all knew what I did. And as they started taking the bench, they wanted to see more change happen in our community. So we went from having one specialty court, which was our DWI court, Mm -hmm. to now seven specialty courts. Wow. 
And I'm able to serve on three of them and was sitting at the table when we put it together. Mm -hmm. And it was with friends of mine and, and we all had a working relationship. So I love that we're all working together. And one of the greatest things about that is I've uh, also become really good friends with our sheriff. Mm -hmm. And one of our, uh, our judge, Tiffany Hurtling, who was the judge over our family drug court, um, I sat with her and my friend Jeff Davis, who's a captain with the sheriff's department, and then uh, Tracy Murphy, our sheriff. Mm -hmm. The four of us sat down at Fuzzy's Tacos and in one hour came up with a deal that nobody else in the country has been doing yet. It's where we're using drug seizure money to pay for treatment for people who are in the specialty courts. Whoa, because it's such a cool incredible. use of the money. And what I didn't realize is cops look at that like that's dirty money. That's like we're taking grandma's house because, you know, the, the kids are they're selling drugs in it. So they have mm -hmm. to take it. And she's, mm -hmm. you know, out of the equation now, but it's yeah. still her house. Yeah. And they just they're allowed to buy armored personnel carriers and bulletproof vests. But, you know, once denton has got a tank or two and everybody's got some <laughs> riot gear, that money just kind of sits there. And so what better wow. use than to let the drug dealers pay for the treatment for the drug addicts? And it's for people who are, you know, part of our legal system. The money has to be used to enhance the lives of the inmates. And this is one of the ways that they do it. Because you can only hang so many TVs on the wall and then the money just starts, you know, <laughs> you can't use it for their food because they got to yeah. feed them anyway. So that's incredible. It's, it's just a really neat thing that we're hoping spreads across the country. We'd like to see more people doing it. In fact, uh, Captain Davis and myself have been contacted by a few different cities. And, and we've talked to several people um, through all of his connections about going out and showing other cities and counties exactly how to do this because they all have this money. Yeah. And, and on the federal level, there's billions of dollars just right. sitting there. Every time they get one of those trucks full of cash headed to the cartel and they intercept it, that money is just, it would be perfect because we could put so many people in treatment. That's incredible. Talk about using a setback for a setup. Like, it's that's absolutely incredible. So I love that we get to do things like that, that I'm involved in things that theoretically, I, I shouldn't be allowed in the courthouse. I shouldn't be friends with these people. <laughs> and I absolutely shouldn't have any kind of voice when it comes to making these uh, cutting edge policies. But you know, I absolutely love it because what we've been doing doesn't seem to be really working. So when we think mm. outside of the box and, you know, somebody told me a long time ago that these problems are too big for any one person or any one department to take care of. Mm -hmm. But that I believe that we're designed that we have to work together yeah. and be vulnerable and, and be helpful. And so when we can put these different people together who have the willingness yeah. To, to make a difference and really step out there. I mean, this is kind of scary for some of the public officials because it's so different, right? but it's working and it's, it's amazing. I so. love it. And it all started 15 years ago with your willingness to just have the courage to pull out a dream and pull out a plan again, because think about back to that day that you heard that message, like how much of this may not have been going on without your, you, you and Leslie's willingness to say, okay, 
we're going to do this. We're well, going to step out And we think about sometimes we look at the thin little line of events that happened that brought us all together mm. and to make something possible. And I don't know why, but sometimes we sit there and we kind of stress out over the fact it's like, wow, if I had just turned left, this would have never happened. And it seems so precarious, but yet it even though it seems like a thin line to us, I believe it was like a broad highway because it it couldn't have happened any other way. Um, When Kathy died, people kept telling me, you know, something good comes out of everything. And I was really angry for a good while. And I kept saying, you know, stop, stop saying that to me. There's no silver lining here. And you're never going to convince me that anything good ever came from this. It's all bad. Yeah. But yet when that happened, I had some friends who told me that uh, they had a little cabin on their back, eight acres of land out in Greenville, Texas. Mm -hmm. And they're like, why don't you get out of Dallas and come stay out here for a while? And I'm like, you know, I think I will. Well, Greenville is where I met Leslie. Wow. Who was my wife. Oh, my goodness. And and backing up a little bit before that, I remember telling Kathy one night, it's like, look, don't take this the wrong way because I don't want to drink but I don't ever want to go back to a 12-step meeting again because I hate those people. Because (laughs) if I hear one more grown man complain about how bad his life is or his broken weed eater or his girlfriend, I'm I'm just going to, I'm going to smack somebody and I don't need to go back to jail. And she told me, she's like, I completely understand what you're saying, but I'll tell you what, if you'll let me introduce you to somebody tonight, she goes, and we'll never go back. If you don't like it, we don't ever have to go back. So I was like, this is great. It was the last time I got to do this. And we went somewhere that I, I had seen, but I thought they were a weak group because they only got together twice a week. And I'm like, wow, that, that's weak. And and uh, I met a man who became my sponsor that night, and that was 22 years ago. Mm. So had she not taken me there, I wouldn't be sitting here. Had she not, had my friends not invited me to come out and stay in Greenville, I would would have never met Leslie Mm -hmm. because I can't do this without Leslie. Mm -hmm. I mean, we are a team and she is who I was put on this planet to be with. Mm -hmm. It's just, there was a lot of twists and turns before we got there, but we're very much a team and because she is there, then I'm allowed to come out and do things like this. Yeah. I'm allowed to be a part of our court system. Mm-hmm. I'm allowed to do a lot of things because she's there. So good. And she's there answering the phone and running the place right now, trying uh-huh. to get people in there. And, uh, you know, I said, we'll have 96 beds. Currently, I have 50 beds. And she keeps just almost every single one of them full, mm-hmm. which is a lot of work. Yeah. There's a lot of people to take care of. It is. Okay. So tell me one story, just it can be from the last couple of months, last, even last year, of someone who you've seen, and you don't have to use names obviously or anything like that, but just like a, a, a story that's given you the motivation just to continue on in what you're doing to make a difference. Well, there was a, there was a man I spoke to, and since I get to go into the jail a lot, mm-hmm. um, I love going into the jail. <laughs> And I went in to talk to this guy who got arrested at his house and he got four felony charges in his front yard. And it's like, wow, you know, most people have to leave. And it's all alcohol related. 
And so he just had a really bad day. And when I went to speak to him, he told me the last thing I remember is painting cornhole boards. They were making a cornhole game and he got drunk and something made him mad. And next thing you knew, he's throwing his furniture out the window without mm -hmm. opening it. And people called the police and it just turned into a really bad thing mm. and he woke up in a jail wow. not knowing how he got there and then they're telling him you have four felonies mm. and, and so I went in to talk to him at uh, the request of his attorney and he kept grabbing his hands he goes I don't know why my hands are sore and I found out later it's because one of my friends in law enforcement tackled him and drove him right into the, oh. the white rock uh, driveway and, and it was either that or they were going to shoot him. And he came up behind him and just hit him like a linebacker. And he doesn't remember any of this. Mm. But this man sat there and told me, you know, I don't have a problem with alcohol. He goes, I mean, it was a problem yesterday, but I'm not an alcoholic. He goes, can't be. Because he had a good job. He had a marriage, which was, you know, it's, it's good. Yeah. I think it was a little strained at that moment. Yeah. Um, but he had a great job. He was doing well. He has a house. He's like, this is not an alcoholic. Mm. He goes, this is just somebody that, you know, maybe every once in a while I just overdo it a little bit. And apparently I overdid it, but he didn't want to hear anything about any kind of addiction. Mm. So I just sat down and started to explain to him what addiction really is, what it looks like, what the mental obsession is. The fact that, that, even though, because we all have this picture in our mind, like to be an alcoholic, I have to have lost all this stuff yeah. or go to jail this many times. Mm -hmm. Or if it's drugs, you know, they're like, well, I'm not prostituting myself. Therefore, I cannot have an addiction mm -hmm. because I'm not doing that. And that's such a small, small piece of it. Mm -hmm. um, and, and so many people are there and it's dangerous when they're in that spot because they, they're not going to let anybody help them. Mm. But I was able to talk with this man for a little while and just break it down. And like, have you ever tried to stop and find out that you could not? And, and did you ever promise your wife that you were only going to have one or two drinks and you went way overboard? Mm. And, and then we talked about the whole thing about staying clean for two or three months and then blowing it just before something big happened. And you could just see the wheels in his head turning and... And he's like, yeah, he goes, you know, maybe, maybe I do have a problem. And a few days later when he was in our office, it was like, man, there is no doubt I am an alcoholic. Wow. He goes, I can't believe I ever thought I wasn't. But watching him become willing and watching everything come back mm. into his life, his marriage being not just repaired, but stronger than it has ever been, mm. his boss really looking out for him and, and really making him an integral part of his business and just watch it, the healing and the life come back together to a guy who was almost shot by the police. And, and wow. my friend who tackled him said, man, he goes, that is a good guy because he knew him and these mm. police all knew him. They're like, but the devil was in him that day. Mm. And it just was a really unfortunate event. But watching him change, and I, I can see people change every day, but this guy still comes to our facility all the time, mm. 
looking for new men that he can help That's because so he has good. got that point. He understands that the only way that this is going to last is if I continue to help other people. That's so good. Because if we don't have those life-saving moments, then we just slowly start to revert back to where we were yes. before. It's kind of like going to church every single Sunday and hearing what you're supposed to do and not doing Never any doing of it. it. Yeah. And then sitting there going, well, I don't understand my wife. <laughs> my life is so bad. I mean, I put money in a bucket every week and I'm there religiously. Yeah. I mean, it's all religion. Why is it that my life is so pathetic? And I'm like, mm. well, could it be that, that the way you treat people is pathetic? Mm, that's good. <laughs> and we just change everything and it becomes a, a life of being a servant towards others. And then our life becomes so much more blessed than we ever thought it could be. And it's just amazing and watching that happen and watching somebody who was so lost, who didn't even know how they lost didn't know that they, they were. They were lost. That's the deal. And and watching their life just come together and then the people who were involved in it are like, Wow, this is unbelievable. So, so it's that's one of the coolest things I've seen. But but again, I get to see this every, every day. day. I mean, most of my staff are people that I was able to help at one point, mm -hmm. not all of them, but most of them. And, and so it's just been, you know, we have three people who are at nine years with us on staff. And one of them, she just let everybody know today that she's going to be leaving. She's started a little side business. She does bees, bee removals, honey. Oh. She's, uh, and, and she just, it's gone crazy for her. And that's what she's going to do full time now. She's the bee lady. That's and, so you know, and she did not come through my program. She was a volunteer that showed up nine years ago. They just never left <laughs> and became part of our staff and part of our family. And and that's one thing about our staff is we're we're family. Mm. And, and so even though she won't be on our payroll anymore, she'll still that's be a part of it. And, and even watching her life change, there was no addiction, but just the different things she had been through. She had lost a husband. She was raising two children by herself. And, and watching those children uh, who are both just pretty much adults now, but watching their struggles as they were growing and being a part of it. I mean, when she was a single mom, she brought her kid in one day and I'm like, hey, this is not how we're going to do it. Let me tell you That's something. That's <laughs> and it, it just... So there, there's so many neat things about what I get to do and, and the people I get to share it with. Mm. So speaking of family, if there are people listening today that they're like, oh, my goodness, I'm hearing about Solutions in North Texas. I'm passionate about that, whether it's the mental health crisis or addiction, everything that you've shared, and they want to they give back. They want to be part of the solution. What are some ways that they can be part of the Solutions family and get involved in what y'all are doing? Well, of course, as a nonprofit, there's always funding and, yes. and we we are just now to where we're hiring a full-time grant writer for the first time because we're growing and it takes a lot more money to do what we're doing now than it did in the early days um, but they can also come out and volunteer and, and just come out and see I meet with people all the time that are thinking about starting an organization and whether it's something in the same field as what we're doing or something completely different. There, there's not a lot of difference when it comes to setting up a nonprofit and kind of deciding, because there's a scary time yeah. when you leave your full-time job and mm -hmm. you jump in with both feet and nothing is guaranteed. Mm -hmm. And, you know, 
I had lost everything I owned four different times because you go to jail, you stay there for a long time. I mean, I ended up spending two and a half years in a Dallas County jail, broken up into several visits with the longest being nine and a half months. But there's nobody on the outside to just pay for your life. So when you walk out, whatever you were wearing when you walked in, if you got arrested at the lake in July and you walk out and there's ice in the ground in February, you have shorts and a tank top. I mean, that's, (laughs) that's what you have. And so making this jump, it was a lot scarier for my wife than it was for me. But I knew that if I lost everything, that I could just go back to work because mm. I'm, I'm going to work. I, I can do whatever I need to do to make sure that I am able to pay my bills and put food on the table. But when, when I got sober and I wasn't working in the music field, I started a delivery company, not because I was passionate about making deliveries, but I had long hair and have been arrested a bunch of times, thought, you know, no one's ever going to hire me, (laughs) but I can buy a van and I can start moving boxes around and I can't fire myself. (laughs) And, and we did that for uh, about eight years and, and we did well at that, but it was never something I was passionate about. So whether I returned to delivering items or something completely different, it didn't really matter. I just knew that I had to take this chance. Otherwise, I would be one of those people who spend their entire life going, well, you know, one of these days I'm going to do this and I'm just I'm going to go for it. And I did. And I've never looked back for a second. And there's been some scary times and it was hard. Mm -hmm. There was nothing easy about it, but it was kind of how bad do you want to do this? How important is it to you? And. We, you know, we sold the delivery company thinking, hey, that'll carry us through the next for the first few years. And uh, then that guy that I sold it to was not we just won't say he wasn't the nicest person and he made everybody angry. And within six months, he ruined that company. Mm-hmm. I also had drivers who had been with me since the beginning and they all left. Mm-hmm. And so the company just went bankrupt in six months and he decided, well, I'm not going to pay you any more money for it. So our financial stool got kicked right from under us, right in the middle of it all. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there it would have been easy to quit and just to move on and say, you know, I tried it, but it's too hard mm-hmm. and I got to get back to work. But we just bared down and just kept every time things got scary, we concentrated more on who can we help? How can we make things better for other people? Because if I take care of the people in my facility when it's super scary and I concentrate on them rather than the looming bills or the pending destruction, it, it all seems to pass and different doors open up. Mm. We had a professional gambler walk in on one of those very scary days. And he said, you know, he goes, I think God is much more interested in how I spend my money than how I make it. And this is a guy who flew to Vegas once a week to play at the same table. He had been on that, uh, the, the world series of poker yeah. years earlier. He said, that's a young man's game. He goes, you're up when he did it, there was no TV cameras, but he was a part of it. And he played at this one table on a Bellagio for 20 or 30 years. And he came in, he goes, you know, I don't know why, but I feel like God told me to bring you $5,000. And it was on a day that we had $26 in the bank account. We were nearing the end of the month. My wife had asked me earlier that day, what are we going to do? And my answer was, well, I think that 
I will call my landlord, you know, not today, but as we get closer to the day and tell him that I might need an extra week or two. And she's like a week or two. And I'm like, just buy us a little bit of time so that we can figure out how to get that money in here. But right now let's take care of these guys here. And it was about an hour later that he walked wow. in and I needed, I told you I started with $4,500. Mm -hmm. My rent for the two buildings that I got was $4,400 a month. So that's what I was looking at. And with $26 in the bank, he came in and laid down 5,000, which was just enough. It didn't, mm. it didn't give us a lot of relief, but it, I didn't have to call him. I never was late. I think in 14 years, I was late one time and only by a day or two wow. with some money. And it's, it's always just been just enough. Um, cross timbers came in at a time where we were sitting there scratching our head going, I don't know how we're going to continue to do this. And, um, cross timbers offered some support because nobody knew who I was when I started. Mm -hmm. It wasn't until when I got sobered, I started going to meetings. They're like, you need to be of service. You need to set up chairs. And I'm like, okay, I'll set up chairs. Mm -hmm. And then when we started coming across timbers and decided, okay, we're going to be a part of this. And then they got up on stage and said, Hey, we're having an early service over here at Liberty and we need somebody to come help us set up chairs. <laughs> so I started showing up at five 30 in the morning and setting up chairs because I can set chairs up. I've been doing it for years now. Yeah. And I got to know Rick White, who was a campus pastor. Mm -hmm. It just, while we were talking, the two of us setting up chairs at five 30 in the morning and he started asking me, so what do you do? And I'm like, well, oddly enough, I'm, I'm, doing this thing called solutions and he's like oh where'd you get that idea and I'm like well <laughs> right here and and I told him the story and it was uh just a little bit later that I started getting phone calls from some people from cross timbers and the next thing you know Toby was on our property mm. and and then we became friends and we started going to lunch from time to time and he would encourage me and I would sit there and go <laughs> This is where we're at. This is what we're doing. And we're just, you know, we think it's going to continue to work. And, you know, 14 years later, it has it has worked. And continuing to grow huh. every single day. And it's still scary. Yeah. Like, you know? That's the thing. I think faith is it's <coughs> never going to be the absence of fear. Like we get to exactly what you're saying. Like there's going to be moments that are scary when we step out into our purpose. But that doesn't mean God's absent from it. If anything, when we feel those moments of how's this going to work? It makes us depend on him even more. And so it's in those moments of, I don't know how this is possibly going to work out that we get to see him show up in crazy ways, like a professional gambler. You, you just, you can't, you can't put a formula to how God provides it for his purposes. Cause I mean, it was a dream he put in your heart. It wasn't something Scott, Scott Weisenbaker did not play in solutions in our Texas, you know, like no. he put that dream in your heart years ago. Yeah, Cause I didn't really like people. <laughs> and friends of mine that found out you're still alive. And I'm like, I am. And they're like, and you house people. I'm like, I do. They really lost it when they found out that me and one of the guys that I used to play with, we started playing at his church for a little while. And they're like, you and Jimmy are playing at church. <laughs> I love it. That's <laughs> like, so we great. are. So great. So for people listening today, I just want to say we started this conversation with talking about how Scott started Solutions, hearing a message, but not just hearing it. He he took note. And, and if you've been around Cross Timbers for the last few months, you've been hearing Toby talk about the fact that we were all created on purpose for a purpose. God gave us unique gifts, passions, and a story that he wants us to use to make a difference in the places he gave each of us 
influence. And so that's different for everybody. For some people, you might be like Scott's neighbor and your way to make a difference is inviting somebody to church. Like that could be your step of faith in this season, or it could be um, inviting somebody to go to a group so that they can experience life change. Or it could be like Scott, you've got this big dream that's in your heart, this plan that you've got tucked away and that today's your day to pull that dream back out just like Scott did 15 years ago and be willing to step into this great adventure of faith and and use what God's given you to make a difference in a massive way in the lives of people. So I know I've been so encouraged by our conversation today, Scott. Thank you so much for joining me. Look, do you mind telling everybody your website real quick so that for people who want to check it out? Okay. Well, my organization is Solutions of North Texas and that web address is, it's basically an acronym. It's S-O-N-T-X.org. Perfect. So y'all can go check out what's going on at Solutions today. Find ways that you can come alongside of them financially or to get involved in the day-to-day through serving. Um, Thanks again for joining us today. And we're looking forward to our next episode. If this podcast has been a blessing to you, be sure to review it, rate rate us on, um, on iTunes so that we can continue to reach more and more people through this podcast. Have a great day and we'll see you next time. 